Hello, I'm Anthony Nagel with Lowercase Capital, and today we're going to talk about cryptocurrencies. Before we do that, though, just a quick disclaimer. This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. None of the material in this program is intended to be viewed as investment, tax, or legal advice. Please be sure to consult with the appropriate professional before making any of those types of decisions. All right, so cryptocurrencies. I just got to say up front, uh, I don't really spend a lot of time looking at cryptocurrencies. I don't have a lot of uh, investments in cryptocurrencies. I, I use them to purchase some things online. I think that they're a little bit of a novelty. And more or less, I don't put much into cryptocurrencies past uh, what I would be willing to lose. And that's because at the end of the day, you know, if the money that I have in one of these crypto exchanges disappears, what recourse do I have? The truth is I don't really know. Uh, and so because that's the way things are, um, I'm not going to put a lot of money into them. I use them as a practical matter. I do think that they're interesting. Uh, I think that the technology is interesting. Um, but I just don't think for me as a, a means of investment that they're a really great solution. Uh, I kind of view cryptocurrencies uh, in a similar way as growth stocks in the sense that I don't really know how to intrinsically value uh, a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, and we'll get into a little bit maybe the different ways that people tend to look at them and value them. Uh, but for me, I'm just still not really settled on, on how I view it. And so as an investment matter, I just stay out of it. Uh, and I think the last aspect of that is uh, there's people that trade technically. They're going to look at charts only and, and make a decision based on that. Um, that's not something I do. So it really kind of excludes looking at cryptocurrencies as an investment altogether for me. Um, but I'm not going to talk about cryptocurrencies in general. I really wanted to share uh, with you a specific story, a specific fund that's new, uh, and it's not even really available on most uh, retail brokerage platforms. Uh, but the fund is called the Bitwise 10 Crypto Index Fund, and the ticker for that is BITW. And so the Bitwise 10 Crypto Index Fund started trading on December 10th, and it started trading at a price of $36.75. And it did pretty good. Uh, I think it was maybe December 12th or December 13th, and, and one, of my, you know, one of my good friends, he told me about it. He's very interested in cryptos. He follows that space um, actively. And so, of course, this came across his radar, and he just shared it with me. And, he, you know, we were having a good conversation about it. And I was just looking in awe at the performance because it was clear it was making huge gains day after day. And so I looked real quick, and one of the articles I saw, I think it was on uh, Seeking Alpha at the time, they were starting to talk about the fact that um, the net asset value of this fund was, was beginning to diverge from the actual transacting price. And this divergence really reached its peak at the end of the trading day, December 16th, and going into and ending on December 17th. So the fund itself peaked in terms of closing day prices on December 16th at a price of $144. And then on December 17th, I don't have the, the closing price in front of me on that day. It probably went down a little bit, but the point is the net asset value at the end of December 17th, it was $20.32. So what does that really mean? For those of you not familiar with net asset value, any type of fund like this, whether it's a mutual fund or an electronically traded fund, they're going to be required to calculate at the end of every trading day net asset value. And that's really just exactly like what it sounds. What is the value of the assets possessed by this fund? And it's given on a per share basis. That way someone like me looking at a fund like this can say, 
for each share that I purchase at some price, I'm going to receive, uh, in this case on December 17th, $20.32 worth of assets. It looks like at the time, or at least in the, at the morning of December 17th, you had an opening price of $144 on a day that the closing net asset value was a little over $20. So you had this fund transacting at a price about seven times greater than the value of their underlying assets. I didn't know at the time, like as I was watching this happen, I didn't know what I was missing because I see this fund going up 50% in a day, 30% in a day, uh, just massive gains. And, and I didn't understand. I truly did not understand. I was feeling very lost. And ultimately, I think that, you know, my, I was feeling lost, feeling like it didn't make sense because it didn't make sense. And so finally, reality had to take its course. And so here we are um, in the late afternoon on Friday, December 18th, and this fund is trading around $70 a share. That makes a little bit more sense to me, right? And it's, it's certainly matching up to uh, what it's investing in, right? Cryptocurrencies are known to be very volatile. They have very large swings at times and sometimes without real explanation. So even as it sits at $70 a share or so, uh, it's, been, it's down nearly uh, 50% from its high. And it's also still doubled from when it opened about a week ago. Uh, it's definitely a wild ride. Um, but because I don't have an ability to value the underlying assets, um, BITW is not something I expect to be investing in, uh, even if the, the price starts to come back closer to the net asset value. Uh, but I bring this story up because I think it just invites the opportunity to discuss a little bit uh, what are the, actually the differences between a mutual fund and an ETF. Because if BITW was a mutual fund, this type of, of large divergence really wouldn't be possible as much, right? And I bring this up because if BITW was structured instead as a mutual fund uh, rather than an ETF, this divergence wouldn't really be possible. And, and here's why. When you buy a mutual fund, you're buying it from the fund company. It's, it's a primary market. So you're buying it from the fund company. You're going to give them money. They're going to tell you that they're going to sell it to you once they calculate the net asset value of their assets at the end of the day. So you're going to give them, a, you know, let's say $100. They're going to calculate the net asset value of their fund. They're going to say, all right, today net asset value is $10. You gave us $100, which means that you purchased 10 shares. That's great. And then they take that money that you gave them and they're going to turn around and invest it in accordance with their investing process and to acquire more assets of the same type. That's how a mutual fund works. That's not how an ETF works. In an ETF, when you buy a share, you're buying it from your broker, you're buying it from your neighbor, you're buying it from absolutely anybody but the person who is operating that fund or that trust. And so as a result, you're buying it at absolutely any possible price above or below the net asset value of that fund. And so this is really important. If you're somebody who invests in ETFs and specifically in niche ETFs or thinly traded ETFs, understanding this mechanic is going to be very valuable to you because you don't want to end up buying an ETF when it's trading at a severe premium to its actual underlying assets. There's no need to do that. And particularly in the case of BITW, even if I love cryptocurrencies and I love the idea of a crypto index fund, I would call this presently uninvestable. There's, there's no way I'm going to pay a premium of a couple hundred percent on the net assets just to get into this fund. That's ridiculous. Now, this mechanic of primary versus secondary market, it's certainly not the only distinguishing factor between mutual funds and ETFs. There's a couple others that I'll quickly mention. 
Uh, first, they're treated differently from the perspective of taxes. That's really all I'm going to say about it. Um, if you're considering investing substantially in either one of these types of products, consult with your tax professional, understand what those differences are. Uh, I just wanted to bring that to your attention here. The other thing that typically comes up when I'm looking at ETFs versus mutual funds is the expense ratio. They both have fees involved, and that has to be the case, right? Operating a trust is, is not free. There's administrative um, costs involved and management fees involved, especially in the case of actively managed funds. And so in either case, you're going to have an expense ratio. But the big difference is, in the case of a mutual fund, you're going to end up typically paying higher fees for what would otherwise be the same style and size of fund simply because you're having to pay salespeople in between. Mutual funds are bought and sold in a primary market, and part of that uh, mechanism, part of that market, has commissions built in for the person who is selling the purchaser that fund. And so those fees have to come from somewhere, and they come from your account, of course, in the, in the form of a higher expense ratio. All things being equal, for myself, I tend to prefer ETFs over mutual funds for that simple reason. The expense ratio tends to be higher. Now, there's other reasons why um, the expense ratio can be higher. Some of it just has to do with, again, the, the legal structure and the, and the reporting requirements of a mutual fund versus an ETF. But we'll just leave it at that, that the expense ratio is, is on the higher side. So we talked about how a price divergence like we saw in the Bitwise 10 Crypto Index Fund was made possible due to the difference in how these funds are traded, mutual funds versus ETFs. But this price divergence didn't just happen in a vacuum. We're in a, an economic climate right now where gold has been popular. Cryptocurrencies are certainly very popular. Um, I think that the idea that we're entering into an inflationary period is becoming more and more accepted, more and more popular. And so on top of all that, you had an announcement from American Express on December 16th that they made an investment into a company called Falcon X. And Falcon X claims to be an all-in-one platform for institutions trading in cryptocurrencies. That's a big deal. Cryptocurrencies have struggled to gain institutional acceptance. And so to have a company like American Express announce that they're investing in a platform like this, it's, it's really big news. And it could be the start of many more types of announcements from similar companies. But really, to have a, a global leader in finance like American Express make this type of a, an, an announcement is a really big deal. Um, now, I will say, nowhere in the announcement did they mention the size of the investment. So this could just be um, a, a token investment financially for American Express, um, simply because they wanted the headline for some reason. Those details, we, we really just don't know. Um, but in any case, it's really big news. So with all the current attention placed on cryptocurrencies in the current economic climate, it's really caused me to question actively and think about how do I value a cryptocurrency? What is the value of a Bitcoin? How much is Ethereum worth? Um, the, the simple answer is I really don't know. It's difficult for me to, to put a number on that because, uh, you know, cryptocurrency, a Bitcoin isn't a physical object. I can't hold a Bitcoin in my hand. Um, I can't build something with a Bitcoin. Um, I can't you know, put it in a safety deposit box. It's not a physical object. So does a Bitcoin have intrinsic value? Uh, some would say that um, the energy needed to make a Bitcoin, the actual computational power required to calculate the proofs of work, to, to, to mine for a Bitcoin, that's a way of valuing fundamentally what a Bitcoin is worth. I can see the argument to that to a certain extent. That's how much uh, expense you have to put in in order to generate a Bitcoin. 
and that, that value is going to fluctuate a lot. I, you know, I think it's somewhere in the vicinity of $12,000 or so to generate a Bitcoin. Um, and so that's one idea of the intrinsic value. I've heard other people talk about the intrinsic value of a Bitcoin in terms of the size of the network. So how many transactions do you do per day? How many users per day do you have? And, and those are really measures of, of adoption of that method of payment. And I think that there is some value to that metric. Uh, but for me, when I'm looking at a Bitcoin as an investment, I don't see an intrinsic value right now. I'll just be honest. That, that's my struggle. I don't see an intrinsic value. If something catastrophic happened and, and Bitcoin was made illegal, that's maybe the closest parallel I can draw to uh, a company going bankrupt, right? Uh, and you have to, you're in a liquidation situation. What does a liquidation situation look like for, for Bitcoin? After Bitcoin's illegal, how much can you get out of a Bitcoin? I would say about nothing, right? If it's illegal to transact Bitcoin, if it's illegal to possess Bitcoin, that's not really valuable for me as an investment. And no one's really going to accept Bitcoin as a payment, or at least you're not going to be able to purchase very many goods and you're not going to have a very fair price discovery on a currency that's been made illegal. So today, I place the intrinsic value of a Bitcoin at zero. I place the intrinsic value of Ethereum at zero. And I still keep thinking about it. When a lot of smart people disagree with you, you really have to wonder um, if you have the right answer. I just can't think through and logic to a position where I could view a Bitcoin as a growth investment, certainly not a value investment, but even as a growth investment. Companies like uh, Google and, and, and Amazon, to me, are much more attractive than, than Bitcoin because I can understand the story about why uh, those companies should be larger than they are today in, in five or 10 years. I can see that picture. I can't see a picture where Bitcoin is larger in five or 10 years than it is today. Honestly, I can see many pictures where Bitcoin is a lot smaller or has been outlawed in five or 10 years than it is today. Bitcoin does not benefit our government whatsoever. And it's, it's in direct competition with the dollar. And really, at any time, they could declare that Bitcoin is illegal, you can't possess it, whatever the case might be. And, and, and that really poses a serious threat. Uh, I think that the longer down the road we go of people adopting Bitcoin, uh, of course, it makes sense at a certain point that making it illegal would be politically unpalatable. Um, but we're probably still in the zone where, where today legally declaring Bitcoin illegal is, is a possibility, even if it's an unlikely one. So that's just a lot of words to say that today I'm not touching Bitcoin, I'm not touching cryptocurrencies, but I'm paying attention. And I'm paying attention in part because even though I'm not investing in Bitcoin, um, many other people are, and some of those people are doing so um, by using assets that they would have otherwise put into things like gold, silver, or other types of break-evens or inflation hedges, commodities, right? Maybe oil uh, is something that people would be forgoing in favor of, of Bitcoin. Uh, but I think it's fair to say for the most part that gold would be the, one of the things that's suffering. And so uh, maybe that has a little bit of an effect on, on how I approach viewing gold. Um, but that's really it. And that's, that's kind of my thoughts on cryptocurrencies. If any of you listening are particularly knowledgeable on, on cryptocurrencies, I'd love to talk with you about it, actually. Um, I would love to be educated and I'd love to learn how to uh, look at Bitcoins in a new and a different way. Uh, but today I just don't see it. I got to be I got to be really honest about that. And so that's really all I had to talk about. Uh, I thought the story of the Bitwise 10 crypto index fund was was really interesting. And it's really started to make me question whether or not my fundamental understanding of how ETFs and how net asset value should relate to the share price of a fund 
And ultimately, I think as we sit today with the the transacting price a bit closer to the net asset value price, um, people just got a little bit ahead of themselves, in my opinion, and it should come back down a lot closer to the net asset value. I appreciate you listening to the podcast today. You might have found us on YouTube. Uh, Lowercase Capital is the channel there. And you can also subscribe to the podcast by going to www.lowercasecapital.biz and you'll find links to subscribe in most podcast apps. Of course, we're also included in most major podcast directories. Of course, Apple Podcasts, Google, um, Blueberry, a few others. So I mentioned at the start, I'm Anthony Nagel with Lowercase Capital. And Lowercase Capital is a Texas investment advisor looking to do business with other small businesses uh, as well as residents of Texas. We use a numerically based approach. We use a rule driven approach to get to the point of making investment decisions. At the end of the day, there's still someone in there looking at each of those decisions and deciding if that's a good idea or not. But we're really leaning heavily on a numerically driven and a mathematically driven process to make those decisions. And so really what we hope to achieve is an investing return that's a bit more consistent than what you would get from a maybe a pick the winners type of approach. So if that sounds like something that interests you, I would definitely invite you to visit our website at www.lowercasecapital.biz or emailing info at lowercasecapital.biz for more information. Look forward to hearing from you.